Great morning, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Greg Cellini of the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn and the Office of Mission, Ministry, and Interfaith Dialogue at St. Francis College, Brooklyn. It is my great pleasure to be back with you once again today. The purpose of our show, Thank God for Monday, is to inspire you, our audience, to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We wanna provide you hope, healing, and peace in these unprecedented, turbulent, uncertain times. Motivate you to search deep inside yourself in the quest for fulfillment. Listeners, it's really up to you as how to utilize the information we provide today. Take full accountability for the decisions you make and a resulting outcome. Now, one of the goals of our show, thank God for Monday, is to introduce role models. Role models of people take very bold steps in their work lives. As such, we are honored today to have with us a most special guest. Her name is Carice Anderson. Carice is a director in leadership and manager development for a leading asset management firm. She has presented her insights and worked as a leadership consultant, facilitator, and coach for top companies such as Google, Bloomberg, and Accenture. Therese is the author of the enlightening and timely book, Intelligence Isn't Enough, A Black Professional's Guide to Thriving in the Workplace. Great morning and welcome to Thank God for Monday, Clarice. Thank you, Brother Gregory, so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Ah, the pleasure's all ours. Kindly tell our listeners from what city and state you are speaking from this morning, please. I am speaking to you from Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, you've just made this host and a whole bunch of listeners very, very jealous. (laughs) One of the most beautiful places in the country and the world, from what people tell me. Absolutely. Sadly, we've only got 30 minutes. We could spend hours talking about you, your incredible background, this amazing book that you've written. So if it's okay with you, we're going to jump right into the deep end of the pool. If we understand correctly, you had an upbringing in a Baptist church and attended Catholic elementary and high school. How did this inform your work and overall life? I think that's a really great question. I think Growing up in the family that I grew up in, growing up, you know, in the church, not only on Sundays, but also during the week, I think it really informed my value system and really made me care a lot about other people um, and just have a strong sense of what's right and what's wrong. I, I definitely, and I think, you know, that shows up in the work that I do and how I show up. You know, I'm very much about let's do what's right. I don't care about whose idea it was or I'm not attached to my own ideas. I always just want to do what's right for whoever it is that we're serving um, or, you know, whatever organization I'm working for, especially when I was in consulting. Wow, that is tremendous. Now, tied in with this is that if I perceive correctly, you mentioned that sometimes, quote, rejection is God's protection. 
how has this philosophy manifested in your own life? And maybe you could share a little bit more about what you mean by this, please. <laughs> I'm laughing because, you know, I mean, I'm going to start it at a, at a dating perspective. You know, there are people that you are interested in, you know, in high school or maybe college. And then you look now and you're like, you know, maybe it's okay that we didn't end up together. <laughs> you know, when especially the older you get, you really know yourself so much more, hopefully, right? If you've done some of your own personal work sure. and you realize that who that person is and, and who you are is not necessarily a good fit. So I think that's, you know, one example. I also think, you know, when it comes to your career, you know, there were times that, I mean, in 2018 at slash 2019, I was trying really hard to come back to the U.S. I was applying for all these jobs and nothing was happening, you know, in terms of actually getting the job. I would make it to a final round and get turned down and they would give the job to someone else. And I remember being so frustrated, you know, because I was living in South Africa at the time and I just wanted to come back home. Like, God, I just want to come to America. Like, I'm not asking you to send me to in some exotic place. <laughs> I'm like, I just want to go home. And it just was not working. And I remember I ended up getting a job with a really great company that still holds a really special place in my heart. But it was in South Africa. And I was giving God a lot of side eye. Like, God, this is not what I asked for. This was not on the prayer list. Did you did you not read it correctly? <laughs> and but then three months later, I got my book deal and I'm in South Africa. And I'm thinking if I had taken that job in America or gotten a job in America, I might not have I wouldn't have been in South Africa to get my book deal. Oh, wow. So that for me is just a huge example of the rejection being part of God's not only his protection, but his plan for your life. Wow. I've learned the hard way in my own life that God knows best. When Absolutely. I try to control things, I fall flat on my face. But when I'm open and vulnerable to God, nothing is impossible. That's for sure. Now, one of the other things that you've said is that a key to being a good leader is to root your self-worth in something bigger than yourself. Tell us, please, how this works and why this works so well, not only at work, but in life also. I think when you root yourself and your identity and your self-worth in things that are external, that are fleeting, that are temporary, you know, people are fickle. You know, one minute they love you and they're giving you great feedback at work and telling you how great you are. And then the next minute they're telling you that you're not so great. And, you know, that you're not such hot stuff. And so if you allow your self-worth to sort of fluctuate with, you know, people's opinions of you, you're going to be all over the place emotionally. You're going to be on a high when the feedback's good. You're going to be a little monster, a little gremlin when, when you know, you get the negative feedback. And I just think people don't want to deal with someone who's all over the place. People don't want to work with someone like that. And they definitely don't want to be led by someone like that. So I think people are looking for consistency. And if you want to be a consistent leader, you want to be a consistent team member, you need to root your self-worth, your identity in, in something that is unchanging. And the only thing that's really unchanging is God and his love for us. And I just think anything else you get on top of that, you know, you get the great feedback. Yes, we celebrate your achievements and the positive feedback that you've gotten, right? 
but that's not what is the foundation for your self-worth. Because like I said, people are fickle and the world changes and what the industries loved last year or two years ago, they don't even care about now. So because of the, the constant change that we live in, I think we need to root ourselves in something that is unchanging and that is steady and permanent. And I think that also helps us to work on different characteristics, things that we need to work on, right? When we when we root ourselves in that in that identity of him as opposed to ourselves or what other people think. I could really relate to what you've just shared because I had before becoming a Franciscan brother of Brooklyn, a 29 year career in pharmaceuticals. Mm. And I made the terrible mistake of basing my self-worth on what the organization and people I was working for, what they thought of me. So if I was happening to have a good year, I was feeling great about myself. If I wasn't having such a good year, I was feeling lousy about myself. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. You are exactly right because I was very difficult to work with, to deal with. The people didn't know how to manage me. And it was just uh, became a very ugly situation after a while. So thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing. That's such a nugget that we need to root ourselves in what God thinks and in not uh, how we're doing in the workplace. So that, that's for sure. Now, I can tell we've only been in this recording about nine minutes or so, but I could tell you are an incredibly positive person. Your book comes out that way. But if I understand correctly, it wasn't always this way because you mentioned in the book, this is hard for me to believe, you were in a really dark place at one time and even wishing to get into an accident or hurt <laughs> to avoid work. Now, I know we can laugh about it now, but how did you get to that headspace? And more importantly, or just as important, what helped to pull yourself out of that, please? So you're right. That was a very dark time for me. And I think what it boils down to is that I was 22, fresh out of undergrad, didn't really know myself, and was solely making career decisions based off of finances. And so it's no wonder that I ended up in a job that was not suited for me. It was just not a good fit for me. So no knock against the company. It's just that the job was not a good fit. And, you know, I was, as you, I think you may have mentioned when we spoke earlier is that I was the first person in my family to work in a corporate space. So I didn't really have people around me that could give me any advice. And so in my 22 year old mind, I just needed a break. And the thing I could come up with was, well, maybe I could get in a car accident so I could just, you know, I don't want to die. I just want to break my right arm, you know, so I can't type. <laughs> that's, that's the simple mind of a 22-year-old. And I think what I what got me out of it, you know, was realizing, you know, I do have some options. And I ended up leaving and, you know, going to another company where I think I was a little bit happier. So I think that helped. But that was kind of a short-term fix. I think longer term, I realized, Carrie's, you know, some of that was your fault that you ended up in that job because you were making decisions solely based off finances. And fi I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing, because I know sometimes we get in we get in situations where we have to judge the merit of a situation based off of finances, and and we have to eat right uh -huh. and and keep our lights on. But I think for me, I had enough space to think about other things, but I just didn't know I should I should be thinking about those other things in terms of what's a good fit for me and what are my strengths and what energizes me and brings me joy and lights me up. I wasn't thinking about any of those things. And so I really try to encourage people through my book, 
know who you are and then you can position yourself to be in a place where you can leverage those strengths and be around people who appreciate what you bring to the table. And I think doing more and more of that has helped me, you know, be more and more positive and optimistic about my career. Oh, that's awesome. That's very fascinating because as college students or college graduates, we have many college students and graduates listening this morning, the importance of self-awareness sometimes for college students or even early college graduates seems to go awry. Share a little bit more for us, please, this importance of self-awareness that you just alluded to. Self-awareness is having a balanced perspective of who you are. It is knowing what are the things that I'm good at and what are the things that I'm not so great at. And I think for me, it does a couple of things. I think, first of all, you know, when you know what your strengths are, you can try to position yourself in a place and around people who appreciate what you bring to the table. I think the second thing is it, it should help us understand okay, these are the things I don't bring to the table. How can I invite other people to the table who bring the things that I don't have? So I feel like it creates, it should create a certain level of confidence. Like, like I know I'm great at these things, but I also know I'm not good at these other things. So I need, I have the confidence in what I do bring, but I also have the humility to open up the table and invite people to the space who bring the things that I don't have. And those things are also important. So I think that's that's kind of the, the first couple of ideas around self-awareness. I also think we need to understand what our areas of development are so that we can know what are the things we need to work on. And not necessarily that you'll ever be the best at those things, but how can you get better and better and better so that those areas of development are not a source of, you know, emotional triggering, they're, they're not they're not causing you to be derailed and to get off the path, right? And we all know people who have really great strengths, but they've got some really big areas of development. And those areas of development can overshadow your strengths if you don't try to manage them. So I think, you know, for me, that's why the self-awareness component is so important because unless you can admit what you don't do well, there's no way you can work on it. It's it's like the, you know, it's like the first step of the 12 steps of um, alcohol, the, you know, the I guess the 12-step program for alcoholism, right? Yeah. The first step is you have to admit that you have a problem. You can't work on it otherwise, right? And so I think for me, that's really important. And just knowing how you come across to people, how people experience you, so that, you know, you can think about how you show up and make sure you're showing up in the very best way. It's so fascinating. One of the reasons we want to have you on, thank God, for Monday, your commitment to ownership, because we're all about personal responsibility. And if we perceive correctly, you think taking ownership of your mindset is really, really critical. Share with us a little bit more about that, please. No, I look at your mindset as the most important asset that you have. You know, because you can see two people in the exact same situation. And I've seen this before. For example, at work, two people will get a bad review and you'll have one person who will spiral down into, you know, a lot of blame and, you know, sort of, you know what I mean? Like, oh, well, the company, you know, this was never right for me and this manager hates me and this client has never wanted me to be successful. You know, so it's all about external, what other people are doing. Where I've seen people spiral up from a bad review is when they take on the feedback and say, okay, What part of this is my responsibility? 
there are definitely elements of this that I cannot control. I cannot influence, but there are definitely elements that I can control and that I can influence. And I'm going to focus on those. I'm going to pull out the nuggets of the feedback that really resonate with me. I'm going to engage my stakeholders. I'm going to be very clear about what is expected of me when, um, what skills do I need to be demonstrating? You're, you're just, you take ownership for what you are responsible for and what you can influence, and then you leave the rest. And the difference between those two people is just the mindset. How did they approach the, the negative feedback? One goes into more of a victim mindset and the other one goes into a victor mindset. And that's really the difference, right? And I think any situation in life, no matter what it is, a health issue, finances, relationship, your kids, your spirituality, what you know, can you take ownership for and say, this is what I can control and, you, and this is what I can influence and that's what you focus on. And you work the heck out of those two things and you leave everything else. <laughs> <laughs> and, th and I think one thing I'll add to is I think that's why you have to protect your mind. You got to think about what are you letting into you? You know, it's like any asset, right? You got to protect it. You got to you got to guard it. You got to treat it well. You got to maintain it. So what are the things that you're doing every day to make sure you're managing your mindset? Are you doing a devotional? Are you praying? Are you, you know, with people who share similar values and share similar belief systems, right? Who are you in relationships with, whether it's friendships or romantic? So, you know, what are you consuming from a media standpoint? You know, I'm so thinking about all of what you're sort of consuming that could help your mind either sort of spiral up and focus on what you can control and influence. Or, you know, are you consuming and being around people that are helping your mindset to spiral down, you know, into a victim mindset? So I think those are some of the things you need to do to protect what I consider to be your most important asset. Uh, that's just terrific advice. If it's okay with you, we're going to shift gears a bit. Mm -hmm. Talk about this great book. Intelligent isn't enough. A black professional's guide to thriving in the workplace. Now you interviewed 30 successful black leaders, literally from around the world for this great book. Can you share with us, please, who were some of those leaders and was there an overarching theme in the advice they had for you? So some of the leaders I interviewed, a lady named Tina Taylor. She was a, a top executive at, at GE Lighting. I interviewed Acha Leke. He's a senior partner at McKinsey & Company. He's actually the chairman of Africa for McKinsey & Company. So those are just a couple of the folks that I that I interviewed I think the common theme, and it's so interesting you asked me this because I spoke at a church yesterday and we went to we went to lunch after the service. And I was telling some of the some of the folks that I was at lunch with, the one thing that is common across all of the people I interviewed is that it's gonna be okay. Like just relax. Because <laughs> oh, you wow. know, because you know, young people get so I think there's so much pressure on them between social media and their friends. Sure. And, the internet just in general in terms of where they should be by a certain age. And if you're not, you know, on the Forbes list, 30 under 30, then you're a complete failure. You know, so I think there's so much pressure. And I think that's the one theme that I, I saw across all 30 of them was just relax. And it doesn't mean just sit there and wait on the opportunity to come knocking on your door, but it just means do what you can. But then it's like, let go and let God. Yes. 
let go oh. and let God do your part, but then, you know, do your best and let him do the rest. Oh. That, that would be the, the theme that, that came across. And they didn't necessarily talk about it from a spiritual standpoint, but that's the sense that I got from, from those interviews. It's very interesting what you've mentioned because I teach a class at St. Francis, uh, Franciscan Career Transformation, and the students are very open about social media and how difficult it is sometimes on their psyche because they see everyone else doing so wonderfully because, of course, that's all we post is when we're doing wonderfully. Exactly. And what's the matter with me? Why can't I measure up? Am I not good enough? So that's great. You reiterated for us, especially about the social media piece. Yeah, absolutely. Say, let go, let God. That is so mm. awesome. Now, another great theme in the book is that organizations need to meet black professionals where they are, mm. not where the organizations necessarily think they are or want them to be. What does that look like, please, in real life? Help us out. So, you know, if somebody looked at my CV, you know, they would see like, oh, she went to Harvard Business School. And they might look at, you know, another person and say, oh, well, he went to Harvard Business School too. But I think you need to think about what was our path there. And our path there might have been very different. You know, if if I had a father who worked in financial services or worked in management consulting, the language I would have heard would have been very different growing up than someone whose parents didn't work in that space. So like, for example, my father was a social worker. My mom taught sociology um, at a local college. So I'd never heard business terminology. I often joke with people, when I heard the term Wall Street, I thought it was just a movie. I didn't realize it was an actual street (laughs) with actual businesses and buildings and people, you know, because that was just not the kind of language that was used in my household. And so if I show up to a job, you know, obviously I've gone to Harvard Business School and another person whose father has worked in financial services shows up, we're going to, you know, on paper, we look similar, but in a lot of ways we are not. They've had much more exposure. They probably have much more of a network, people that they can call to talk to and get advice. I don't have that, you know? And so that's why I think it's really important for companies not to just look at what's on a CV, but also understand people's stories and what was the path there. And also what is your experience in that space? Because I mean, if we're honest, right, like this is not the face of success in corporate America, right? (laughs) (laughs) So even my experience in a corporate is going to be different because I'm black, because I'm a woman. And I think that's what people also need to understand is what experience are people having here every day? And how does that differ based on what you look like and what your background is and what you've been exposed to? Great, great point, certainly. Sadly, time is getting a bit short. We've only got about seven minutes, but I still have some important questions to uh, ask you. You talk about a continuum of authenticity Share with us a little bit about this, please. You know, I've done a lot of work with millennials. And one of the things I recognized about them was they have, some of them have this belief where it's like, either I'm 100% real or I'm 100% fake. And I've tried to explain to them that I think your authenticity exists on a continuum. So let's say it's on a scale of, you know, one to 10. 
And you need to look at the audience, the context, and the message that you're trying to get across to figure out where you need to play on that spectrum. You know, so I might be a level 10 with my Southern family. I might, you know, have a deep Southern accent that Brother Gregory, you might not even be able to understand, right? I'm not going to come to work and talk like that (laughs) because I want to be understood and I want to be taken seriously, right? So I might be a level seven. Maybe if I'm on an interview, I'm a level five. So I think what I try to say to people is I don't think you should try to be two different people, uh, one person at work and one person at home. It takes too much energy. It's not sustainable. So I try to tell people, if your family and friends came to see you at work, would they recognize you and vice versa? You know, wow. and I ask people, think about that. Um, and just like I said, figure out where you want to play on that spectrum. Because for me, I don't just believe in authenticity for authenticity's sake. I believe in it in service of impact. And if I want to be able to have impact with certain people, I can't be level 10 Carice. I'm going to have to modify a little bit. But, you know, I also tell people, look, if you're at a company that wants you to go down to a level three and you're and you're not willing to go past six, you're like six is the lowest I will go. And this company wants me to go to a three. Maybe that's not the place for you. You don't have to quit tomorrow, but you might need to start thinking about that exit strategy. So I I hope that helps you understand um, how I think about and how and why I coined that phrase. This is a very unique phrase. So thank you for that clarification. Very, very helpful. Now, you talk about working in versus working on career and relationships. Please explain the difference for us. When I was living in South Africa, I ran a small business and kind of in the entrepreneurship space, you'll often hear different phrases. So one phrase is working in your business versus working on your business. So let's say I had a cupcake shop. Working in my business is buying my ingredients, mixing my cupcakes up, delivering them to my customers. Working on my business is taking a step back and saying, should I even be delivering cupcakes? Am I, am I, you know, am I selling cupcakes at the right time, at the right place to the right customer? So it's when you take that step back to ask yourself those larger questions. And then I realized one day I was like, oh, we could use that same logic with our careers, you know, because I think working in your career is okay. I do my job every day and I do it well. I deliver at a high quality on time or early working on my career is taking a step back and saying, Am I developing the right skills, the right relationships at the right time? Am I meeting people's expectations, you know, for where they expect me to be right now? Am I in the right space? Do I, you know, when I think about my strengths, is this where I want to be? Is it somewhere else? So I think a lot of times people get very caught up in just doing the job and not taking a step back to look at the the bigger picture in terms of their career development. That reflection is so critical, as you say here. Now, I'm fascinated. I'm sure our listeners are as well. You spent 10 years in South Africa. Did you have to make any big adjustments when you came back to the U.S.? And if so, maybe one or two you'd like to share with us, please. The biggest adjustment I would say is, you know, there's a lot of, you know, labor in South Africa. And so, you know, everybody has domestic helpers and, live in nannies and they still have full service gas stations. So it does make the life in South Africa a lot easier. So I've had to adjust to that. I think the other thing I would say maybe on a, a deeper level is, you know, South Africa is very much about relationships and about people, you know, so I can't go into the grocery store and run up to the, you know, the customer service rep and just ask my question. You try to greet people as humans before anything else. 
you know, so I would walk up to a person and say, hi, how are you? Person responds. And I say, okay, what aisle is the toothpaste on? I've tried to do that here in America and people kind of look at you like you're crazy because they just want you to get to the point. But I love the idea of acknowledging someone as a human before anything else. You're not just the person who's going to provide this service. You are a human being. And I need to ask you who you are and how you're doing before I just launch into what it is that I need. So it just makes our interactions much less transactional. Wow. Living in beautiful Brooklyn, that's something I need to keep in mind because it gets so <laughs> fast paced here sometimes, mm-hmm. you forget who you're dealing with. It exactly. Is, no question about it. We have saved the most important question for last. From where can our loyal listeners best purchase Intelligence Isn't Enough, a Black professional's guide to thriving in the workplace? And how can our listeners best follow you? So I'll start with your se- the second part first. People can follow me on or go to my website. It's www.careeseanderson.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook under Carice Anderson, just my name. Uh, in terms of where my book is sold, you can get it from amazon.com, walmart.com, target.com, and any place where you get your books. If you're into audiobooks, you can go to Audible. I actually narrated my own audiobook. So if you want to listen to, if you want to listen to my voice for nine hours and 30 something minutes, please go to Audible. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And you can also get the ebook from Amazon as well. So it's, it's pretty much available in all the places where you get your books or your ebooks or in audiobooks. Terrific. I just want to make sure the listeners have the proper spelling of your first name. It's C-A-R-I-C-E, Anderson, A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. Perfect. Grace, we can't thank you enough for gracing the airways of Thank God for Monday today. We've been enlightened, but you've really inspired us. You've oh, really awesome. Thank you so much. really important in the workplace and in our lives as well. So we wish you continued success, joy, happiness, and tremendous great contribution in all this wonderful work you're doing down there. Thank you. Listeners, guess what? Once again, we're out of time. Greg saying our hope and prayer is that you wake up on Monday morning, just like Carice does. You'll say, thank God for Monday. Until next week in another episode of Thank God for Monday. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye.